Hi, everyone. This is Designing Futures with me, Angela Ye. And if you um, are a subscriber and an avid listener, welcome back. And if you're new to the podcast, welcome um, as well. Some of you may know that this podcast is brought to you by Thrive by Design and Yay Ideology. Thrive by Design is a masterclass program that we've developed to empower design professionals and creative leaders like you through our method and our process, we help professionals unearth their highest potential and help them identify where they can make their exponential impact, master and landing opportunities, thus thriving in your career. And through Yay Ideology, our talent strategy firm with a mission to help companies attract and connect with the best talent through corporate consulting and recruitment. This is the work that we do in that space between design and business, between employer and talent. So to learn more about Thrive by Design and Yay Ideology, head over to thrivebydesign.today and yayideology.com. So today I'm really excited because we get to bring, you know, sometimes we talk about people who've been in the corporate world, high luminaries, people who've been in the industry for quite some time. On the other end of the spectrum, I love to meet people who are evolving in their career midway and just already making such impact in the industry. And I love that I've gotten a chance to meet Lauren Menard and I'm really glad to have her join us for this podcast today. Hi, Lauren. Good to see you here. Hi. Thanks for having me, Angela. You're welcome. Um, I wanted, well, let's tell people a little bit about you and what you've been doing. Um, and then I'd love you to just get into a little bit more about your journey. So I, Lauren is the co-founder and creative director of Prowl, a full service design studio that offers strategic insight through their unique trademarked process pro projections and process. Um, dying to hear you explain and tell us all about that and design strategy industrial and material design yeah sure so although prowl was only founded about seven or eight months ago i feel like it's been a lifetime in the making um i've sort of decided to go out and knew that it was my time to start my own business mainly because um a bunch of people in my close, close sphere kept telling me somewhat of the same version in different words. You know, Lauren, you'll never be happy until you're doing your own thing. You're, you know, I was always getting bored wherever I was and about a year and a half will go by and I'm like, I need something else. And so I finally took a deep breath, stepped back for a second and realized the pattern that I had created in my life. Mm. Um, if it weren't for that pattern, I wouldn't have been able to see the path. So I'm glad that I've had all these experiences. But um, yeah, I feel like all of that has led to Prowl, uh, which is the design agency that you described. <laughs> and you know what you talked about? how throughout your career, and if anybody um, is interested, I mean, if you look at Lauren's background, you've been a director, um, you've been a creative director, you've been, you know, lead design strategist at so many agencies for so many other companies, design strategy for global experience at Adobe, you know, like so many different places. I meet a lot of creative professionals where they grapple with, when do I switch from entrepreneur and entrepreneur? And I love, like, what got you to finally say enough, 
you know, uh, how many years doing this for someone else? When did, what got you to decide it was time? Sure. Yeah. I feel about a year ago, I had reached this point in my career where I was hitting somewhat of two humps, which were more like an apex, right? So one being an apex of experience. So I had felt myself wanting to be on every side of the table in the design sphere. So I started out as a designer thinking that that's where I would live and die. Like that's where I would never ever leave the seat of a designer. I would just climb that ladder. And I quickly realized how many other parts of the design world there were. There was strategy, there was being the client, there were all these other like material innovation, innovation consultant. And so every position that I had, I found myself curious for more. And I wanted to, I, I didn't realize this until later, of course, but I found myself wanting to be on every side of the table and having all of those perspectives to create a more holistic view of the industry I was working within, which is essentially, um, why I, at the end of last year, I'd say I somewhat realized that I had completed the circle and I now felt ready to be able to tackle um, entrepreneurship. But I also um, feel as though entrepreneurship is something that kind of runs free in your blood and you don't you kind of can't get rid of it. And when I was younger, I'd always imagined like I was into fashion and I went to school for fashion right out of high school. And I had never really wanted to run a design house or anything like that. But I was, I always thought like, oh, wouldn't it be nice to own a little brick and mortar boutique? You know, that was my dream as a 16 year old. So uh, this is that. my different grown up version of that. <laughs> <laughs> you finally, you finally came full circle to live that dream that you had so early on. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I love I that. So. It's interesting how you talked about being in every possible role to finally, you get to a point where you've realized, you know, how this works. In knowing how it works, but also not knowing, I feel like the true, true. Lifelong. Yeah. Right. Right. But I feel like I, um, I come with this like sales background now, and I come with this strategy background and it's allowed me and my business partner, Bailey Mishler, who just joined me a couple weeks ago, it's allowed us to, um, move a little bit more freely in spaces like, you know, making a proposal, having client conversations. I can actually say that I understand what it's like to look at a proposal and decide, if that is a good fit for the company or not. And so having that experience has given me a little bit more confidence, I'd say. Mm -hmm. um, but again, learning always, 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 always. Oh yeah, oh yeah. When you're leading the ship, rather than being one of the rowers, let's say, all of a sudden mm -hmm. those decisions are different, aren't they? When you are charting the path of your company, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. It's hard to not feel like an imposter, no matter who you are in the beginning, you know? <laughs> yes. But, and that you got to oh, move into it and own it. Yeah. So um, I think I mentioned it earlier. You had described to me about your um, description of your method. You were talking about progress, projections, and process. Did you want to explain that a little bit? Would that help? Yeah, sure. So again, that came from... Our progress projections came from um, years of me subscribing to the world of uh, future forecasting. 
And it's a tool that for those who aren't familiar, it started mostly with the fashion world. Um, so whenever you see trend forecasting and things like that, it's a mixture of telling, having a perspective on what's to come. And then these companies like WGSN and all these other forecasting companies are paid money to tell designers um, what to design next and what's coming. And although not all future forecasters function in that way, that's generally how that beast works. And although I'm obsessed with a lot of these subscription services and also have always read them and find their perspectives really interesting, I've always had somewhat of an issue with how they seek to prescribe the future. And mm -hmm. when you think about forecasting, it feels a little bit like, all right, this is the weather, right? This is a weather system that's rolling in and you need to prepare for it. A hurricane is coming, start boarding up the windows. And if you're thinking about that in terms of design, you know, it's like, oh, well, the next move is this, everyone's going to be in the metaverse and we foresee all corporations having to take part in this if they want to be relevant. Well, I, I want to challenge that. I, so that's why the, we use the word projection because it feels more actionable. It feels like it's more of a collective action where you're projecting where you want to go mm. and creating a path to get there. So for example, if we use the metaverse as an example here, um, I would ask if I were at a table with, um, say, a stakeholder at um, a retail brand, right? And they're like, well, you know, the metaverse, like, what do we do? How do we react to that? Well, I would question, well, is that even what you should be focusing on? Does that even, and does that even relate to where you're trying to go as a company? And what else would get you to where you're headed that does not involve that because i think that a lot of the world right now it's based on hype and yes we can't always be reacting to hype so you i think you nailed it there's so much so much is changing in the last couple of years that a lot of businesses are you know and i think traditional or conventional business methods is just pick something that's trending, run after it. And you're, you've got a method here where it allows that your clients to step back a little bit to be more reflective about where they're even looking to go. Yeah. Which is yeah. really and funny because, yeah, go ahead. What were you gonna say? Oh, oh I was just gonna say um, a perfect example of that, that the majority of our clients bring up because of our um, extreme focus on materials as a studio they all bring up some exciting material that they have seen recently or read about, and they instantly want to adopt right. it. Right. <laughs> Let's just use it, design after it, use this cool new cork material or. Yeah. You know. Right, right, yeah. mushrooms. Let's put mushrooms, mushrooms in everything. <laughs> and I just, I, I want everyone to like take a little bit of a step back and understand that like, yes, you can adopt new materials, but like, it, let's not get ourselves into another plastic disaster because <laughs> that's well, kind of how we got there. Well, let's talk about what happens when they rush down that path, actually. And I, and I have a correlation to that um, that I want to get into. But like what happens if they rush down it without really stepping back further to really understand all the different materials that are out there? Or even beyond that, what is the purpose, right? Right. Well, I think that people 
consumers are generally much more informed and educated than they once were. Right. Mm. I think the last time we chatted with you, I mentioned the word regenizens and mm. there's this that. whole generation of folks who know the questions to ask. They know what they're looking for and they know how to call out when something feels um, like it's just for marketing purposes. I do believe that especially the younger generation is fully aware of these sorts of things. So say a company adopts a material just for the sake of the marketing story. I do believe that people will see through that. I also believe that there could be unforeseen consequences in their supply chain because not all of these materials are viable for scale at the moment. Um, I'm hoping that changes, especially for some of the materials that are really making a mark and, um, and mm. at, towards a more regenerative future. But I think that for, it also can just convolute your messaging as a company too. I think that from a marketing perspective, if you're just throwing spaghetti at a wall and hoping that it sticks, um, I think we've all seen that happen way too many times that we're too smart to go down that path again. You know, let's take our time and think thoughtfully about materials. It's really funny that you, um, I just completely relate to what you're talking about, how your customers will see something that's common and trend and run after that. Um, when it's about really spending more due diligence, understanding what they want to build. Uh, the same, actually the same thing happens to me when I talk to people and creative professionals are saying, I just, you know, if they're looking for just another job and just to make more money, that's not in the end going to get them to where that long-term that true north might be right and right. so uh, the same thing for professionals i see people just wanting uh, whether it's corporation or consultancy or strategies the new word for someone or activism i just spoke to someone and that's the big trend for someone but beyond that there's so much more to look at to go deeper to really understand why why you're going down that path and what's going to fuel you as an individual it's interesting mm -hmm. come you know there's some correlation there i love um yeah, and that's true. You're talking about how people today, I mean, I think in the last two years, everyone, right, value systems have changed. People care um, a lot more about mm -hmm. the, what they're doing and how they're choosing and how they're buying, mm -hmm. right? Because yeah. I think it's really come to pass in the last two years, everything that we do and how it impacts the world around us, the collective around us, the community, you know? We're not in isolation, right? Right, right. And, you know, maybe not all of those things will stick, but I do remember how shocked and in awe everyone was when they saw photos in the first couple months of lockdown, the blue skies in Beijing and, oh and yeah. Los Angeles. And people were like, wow, that's us. That's us doing that. And they were able to put, you know, two things together. And I also, I think... Even for that brief moment, it was interesting also for myself too, to see, oh, well, although this was caused by an extremely tragic event and this um, huge pandemic we're still in today, it also goes to show that humans are capable of creating that change. Yeah. So that was pretty neat, although under those circumstances, um, but Unfortunately, I think most of us have forgotten about that moment. <laughs> oh my but, God. I hope we don't forget, right? This was such a, you're right. This was such a life 
talk about for real life altering moment in human history. Um, and you're right out of that. It's on it. Uh, I had a mastermind that I, I'm in on a monthly basis. And I think earlier in the pandemic, someone had asked, you know, what an interesting question to round out what, where's the positive side to the pandemic. And I think at, the silver lining in this is that we had to stop our being on that hamster wheel, doing what we've always done to, to stop and reflect and we'll pull, you know, hibernate for a moment. But in, in through that process, I think everybody realized how important the environment was by stepping back, how that did such an amazing job in helping the environment, right? Nature, mother nature had a break. Yeah. Mother nature had a break. She did. Yeah. But then also value systems, right? People started to realize how important family and friends living where they're, where they, the environments that, that allow them to enrich themselves, you know? Mm -hmm. Right. Right. But um, what's interesting, just, I think it was yesterday I was reading an article and it was talking about habits and the future of work and Someone raised the question, um, what if we just went to the office because it was habit? And now what if everyone's leaning towards working from home because now that is, that's become our habit. And habits are hard to break. We all know that. Yeah. But once you break them, you can create new habits. So that was interesting to me because now we've all become so comfortable with not having a commute and all these other things. So it would be interesting to see how we've gone. So we were at this like crazy, crazy moment, nonstop moment before the pandemic, it hit real, like everything stopped. And now yeah. it'll be interesting where we like settle back into once there are less, if not none, like if, if all the restrictions go away, then where will we bounce back to at like an equal, um, um, it'll be interesting to see um, where it settles in. But again, for me, my studio is in my home now where mm. I work personally, my business partners across the city and we work remotely most of the time, but the moments when we're together just like make such a difference. So oh I God. do hope that the future of work does end up somewhere in the middle because I think yeah. we might lose something if not, but. Well, I think if anything, doesn't it get you, you're right, those phys, those moments when you can actually physically hang out, work together, see each other. I mean, I remember people who've joined my team during the pandemic and only meeting them on Zoom. And then when we met them, I remember meeting my team and Sarah and Sean or uh, whoever came, I forget who it was that came to the office and was like, oh my God, this is you in person. And you're right, there's such, there's something else that happens in that human connection when you're in person live. You know, I hope we don't forget. The, thing, the things that we've moved through, um, you know, I guess having moved people through their, lives and in that self introspective method changing habits it's about noticing it it's about making the willingness to make that change right mm. but and and not forgetting what happens to us right this thing this pandemic not forgetting what it it brought to us and in right. realizing in, um our habits our you know our new value systems I love that we got to, we're getting to interview you right here and right now and some more people get to meet you. And it's not just, I think, Prowl, but I love that I got to meet you through Women in Design 
Can you tell me more about your work there? Yeah. So the group was started by T. Chang, who owns Love Crave. Um, fantastic, fantastic <laughs> woman. Um, and we are essentially seeking as a group um, and as part of IDSA to create resources for women in design, whether they're still in college and trying to navigate how they're going to get a job or even just understanding what the working life is like, um, helping those folks, but also helping people in pivotal moments of their career, helping women who feel like they need community because maybe they don't have anyone to relate to in their workplace. And um, also for women to share their experiences when they might be reaching the end of their career. So it's this really interesting mix of different generations within one group. But what we're trying to do is create useful resources that go beyond the panel discussions, that go beyond the social media presence we have, we really, and that's why we can't wait to be together again in person. Um, mm. But IDSA is growing women in design into more of a national presence. And that's super exciting. It's still very much in the works, but we're hoping that these groups can exist everywhere because during the pandemic, we were remote. Yeah. And for things like our mentorship program, um, we were able to take on uh, women from all over the country and actually a few international people, um, which has been an interesting um, way of bringing the broader community to us. But we are definitely focused in San Francisco's community because we believe in these localized spaces where people can relate to each other and understand the industries here because what how we live here and what the community is like here is very different from Chicago or New York right so. yeah absolutely well um, when I think about women in design I remember when I first went to Pratt for my master's in ID and I remember sitting in a group in a small group of fellow students and they were all guys and I was the only woman female designer and you know everybody went around the group to say what I remember when they went around saying, oh, why, you know, why am I passionate about design? And when it got to my turn and I was last, they were like, oh yeah, why are you here? You're a woman, you know? And it was just the audacity of the question and they genuinely were just not understanding it. But, um, I love that you guys have this organization because I think women are much more community oriented, collaborative. Tell me a little bit about what the benefit people find from the organization. Um, well, speaking from my own experience, it was nice having a platform to reach out to when I had questions and mm. giving back. I think a lot of older female identifying designers really want to yeah. give back because women tend to be generous and empathetic. And I've watched so many, um, women in the ends of their career feeling almost maybe arguably more fulfilled sharing their experiences than maybe some of the people who are receiving. Um, so yes. we have a mentorship program. That's primarily what I'm talking about is um, what, how they engage with each other. And it's just so rewarding when you help someone and they get their foot in the door in the design world. Like one of my mentees got a job in the furniture industry 
um, which is where I've spent most of my time and watching her like take that job offer, work through the negotiation. She negotiated her I pay love it. for her first job. Nice. And they said, yes, of course they did. And I just felt so like, oh yeah, hell yeah. Like, let's go. <laughs> I love <laughs> that. Like, yeah. Cause I, I really wish I had that, you know, uh, when I was younger. I love that. I love how that, that, uh, that support um, system is there. Just to clarify, I know it's under IDSA. Um, is it for women in all backgrounds or is it just, it's not just industrial design, right? Are we looking at all kinds of creatives? What, what kind of design background are we, are you accepting? Well, what's interesting is it's intended for industrial designers specifically, but we have interaction designers, UX designers, interior designers, CMF designers, um, color material finish. And it's, uh, it's become broader, but that's mm -hmm. just because I think these other types of design, like I know AIGA has something that's geared towards women, but I don't think it, it might just be an event. I'm not sure, but I think I it's lacking in other industries. And so people don't know where to go. So they come to us and let's face it, like being, um, a female in this, in any design industry is going to be pretty similar. I mean, ID has a pretty gnarly reputation for being a broy community. And there are crazy stats that talk about that show really starkly that stark drop off of when. Mm -hmm. So the majority of students in academia, whether it's undergrad or graduate school, Almost all design programs within the U.S., at least, are majority female. However, you look at the numbers from the industry at large, industrial design right now, or I think 20, 2021, 19% of industrial designers in the United States are women. That is insane. Wow. That's insane. Very, very insane. Yeah. Very so, low. And I can tell you teaching at California College of the Arts in that program, like in, in the design program at the grad level, I think 75% of my students are femme identifying. And I just am shocked by the numbers. I'm hoping maybe we're hitting a moment where we're shifting, but lots of women drop off when they leave school. Wow. When they leave school, they, they mm -hmm. take... Is it because they're not winning the opportunities or, I mean, there certainly should be a lot more data that we can, you know, should get around this, but um, on, on a different strata, you're talking about entry in the beginning years in the design industry. I know that in all of my years in recruitment, in coaching, I meet a lot of women that are incredibly talented, probably extremely suited, better suited for leadership in, in many ways. But when we talk to them about it, it's not something that they're ready for or willingly. There's a note. So I don't know. It's different for different people. Some people, it's the notion that if I get into leadership or management, it'll, you know, I'll sacrifice some aspect of my life, um, you know. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it's yeah. knowing how to navigate that, by the way. But um, right. yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think it's... Um... I see it as sort of a mix of things at different points of people's lives. I think, yeah. you know, um, women tend to get pushed towards some of some other parts of industrial design, like color material finish 
or design research because we tend to be empathetic beings mm-hmm. and we do a really good job at those things. But that also means that because women are being pushed towards those roles, they're getting, we're having less and less in industrial design roles. I also think that a lot of biases from people who have been in the industry for a long time, they see women and they see their portfolios and they think that they can only create things that are, you know, girly, which is yeah. definitely not true. Also because men have been designing female products forever, but we just have never questioned that. So there's that. I mean, I have to tell you also on the on a separate note too, I have looked at pl- bazillion design portfolios and uh, there's something to sometimes the physical aesthetic sensibility form mm-hmm. the technical mechanical there is something where sometimes women are not that good at sometimes it's the confidence in the design that they're doing in that development of the form and the you know the concepts and pushing it through there it's there's something there that's slightly different in what in well, that I think creation. all of that yeah all of that and it is it yeah yeah go ahead. Taught, though, right i think it can be um and it's all dependent upon the individuals right so it's hard to say without generalizing but i do think that um we just need to give more women a seat at the table and specific also women of color because we're talking yeah. about 90 percent are women but what percent of that is women of color like i really don't want to know that number because i know that it will be extremely disappointing so yeah yeah and well and you said that it's all about being taught, right? There's a point where we do need to go. If if we want to push ourselves as creatives, depending on whatever path that is, it's knowing what you need to push right. to really ex- to excel at that ability, whatever that ability, the combinations of different abilities that might be required in a certain path. So yeah, and I love luckily, I, for, luckily for women right now. Um, not luckily, we've been waiting for this for long enough, but uh, it makes companies look better for these consumers, like the Regenizens I was talking about earlier, mm-hmm, to, mm-hmm. to hire women because people are yeah. going to look at, they're going to check in on that and they're going to question. So I think we're at, in a moment of shift and it'll be interesting to see how that changes the design mm. world. You know, it's interesting talking to a lot of employers. Most companies do want female professionals, female female design leaders. Mm-hmm. So it is about building those skills. And, um, and I love that you've got this community that allows women to support each other to up level to get to the to ask for it to own it and to take it. I love it. Yeah. Um, yeah. You mentioned something about your origin, I think your life and how it's I want to go back to your origin story because you had shared something with me about your life and how I think earlier in your, you had a heart attack twice in your life Mm -hmm. in your early teens and how that's called, you know, kind of giving you a certain perspective. Oof. Yeah. I mean, when, when I was younger, so I grew up in a family that just I I grew, I had the best childhood living in the woods, having a family that I feel had all of their priorities in the right place. You know, I wasn't allowed to watch TV all day. I was forced to go outside and catch frogs in my overalls and hang out outside. So I think (laughs) connection to how I ended up and where I am now, but um, I was this really weird part of my life was that I was always this kid that was 
fainting and having heart issues. And there, you know, there wasn't that much research around it when I was younger. So people, it's now known as vasovagal syncope, which is connect. It's about your vagal nerve that connects your brain to your heart and your digestive system. It's there's so much more research about it now, but there wasn't anything back then. So I was just kind of this, although I was a reckless child, I also kind of had caution tape around me at all moments, but something that was actually somewhat connected, but not really connected to that happened when I was getting ready to leave high school and move to New York city for fashion school. So this wild, wild moment of just internal turmoil of leaving my small, small town in really far upstate New York and um, to move to midtown Manhattan. And I had wisdom tooth surgery. And after the surgery, I was hanging out with my friends and got home, realized I was living with my parents at the time because I was young. I was only 18 years old. And I took half of a Vicodin and went into a seizure and cardiac arrest. And that happened once when I was at home. And wildly enough, my mom, my dad, and my sister were all there at in my room when this happened. So they all witnessed this. My dad is wow. a certified EMT volunteer fire department chief. My sister's Oh my God, you're so lucky. <laughs> my sister's now the assistant chief of that fire department. And it, my mom was there too. And, you know, motherly instincts, they were just like, what is going on? And so th- I got to the hospital and it happened again. And, you know, without getting too philosophical about it, I feel like my chemistry was shifted that day in this really wild way where, you know, for people who have near death experiences, or for people whose hearts actually do stop, um, you can read all about all these like different experiences people have, but there are a lot of interesting connections. Like some are so similar that you question how that could be possible. But for me, I had this overwhelming experience of feeling like one, I don't have that much time on this earth any longer. So I need to just move on forward and I cannot waste time. And the experience that I actually had in those moments was that I was outside of my body watching it all happen. I can actually recall things that my sister said when my heart was technically stopped. And I still have not made sense of that to this day, but I have been able now with much time that has passed to look back now and see that it has created this pattern in my life where I've had some other influences too, but having that experience has made me feel like um, a bit more at ease with taking risk that other people might see as unreasonable or impulsive. So spending a year at a job and realizing that it's not a good fit is kind of a no brainer for me. And I have the, I guess, impatience to say, um, this isn't working. I need to get out of here. But I also feel like I trust my instincts enough to take that risk and know that whatever I do next is going to be worth it and, um, Mm. be able to make that jump. So 
I think people who know me really well and know that about me um, understand a little bit my path and how, although at moments it seems a bit sporadic and all over the place, it's actually just built out of this both curiosity and um, feeling like if I don't explore this now, then when will I, you know? Right. Oh yeah. my God, what a profound experience that you went through. Yeah. And I can see how that's colored who you are and what your missions are and all the things that you do. And I can imagine what that does when you get to move someone, a client through the, your process of helping them realize what their missions are. It's interesting what, yeah, how this is just defined who you are. It's beautiful in that, you know, similar to what we were saying before, there's something there that has changed your perspective. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, part of me is like, oh, I wish I'd never had that experience, but if I didn't have that experience, I'm not sure what my life would look like. So uh, I think it's turned me into a better version of myself in a way at a mm. very formative moment. <laughs> Couldn't oh have been God. at a more like turbulent time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm, cur I'm curious right before that, you know, talking about perspectives changing, what were you like before that? Like, was it such a remarkable difference where you like, I don't know, like jaded or, you know what I mean? Like, oh, you know, like, but you weren't like, it seemed like you were always, you know what I mean? Like, how did that shift your personality actually? Yeah, well, it's funny because I met this person who really highlighted that in my life, my professor, Bert Swerzy, who I talk about all the time. Um, I met him, um, two years after that happened, but, you know, I was like, all I wanted to do at the time was make beautiful clothing. I was sewing, I was drawing, I was uh... painting and that's all I wanted. I got to fashion school and I felt this overwhelming feeling that everyone around me was living and breathing fashion and they could not do anything else. And I just felt like doing form studies of a dress over and over and over again, didn't feel like I was doing enough. Like it didn't feel like it was doing something more than myself. And that's just my personal experience. I don't feel that way about fashion designers at all. I love fashion. I just felt like my calling was in something that was much bigger than me in a sense of like solving ish, solving problems. So I decided to leave, like I knew I wanted to leave within two months, but I stuck it out in Midtown Manhattan for a year. And I moved to a school called Rensselaer Polytechnic Institute. And they had a program called um, Design Innovation and Society, which I think now is called Product Design and Innovation, but it forced you to do two majors. So I had a major in design and I think my other one was sustainability studies. and just dove so deep into problem finding and mm. really getting to the root of issues and not treating symptoms, but treating the cause. And it yes. was all spearheaded by Bert Swerzy. And I feel like I've brought that way of thinking to, it just really scratched my itch. And I feel <laughs> like I bring that everywhere I go, you know, it's like, why question everything, you know, don't do bullshit. I'll yes. be like, ways of thinking. It's like, it's a good way to keep yourself in check. Honestly, I think everyone should think that way. Even if you're an accountant yeah. or 
you're a real estate agent, like it's good to question yourself, you know? Yeah. Are you on the right path? Right. Are you doing yeah. what don't do bullshit? Do what yeah. resonates with you. I love right. that. Right. And I love how you saw that so early on. And in your to your point, yes. To each their own. Everyone has a path that that what they do resonates with them, right? And that just because that direction wasn't for you doesn't disqualify that. That's there's there's purpose for people who do that. But I love that you knew to keep looking to find what resonated with who you are. I love that. Yeah, thanks. I mean, I come from a pretty relentless and uh, I come from a family who is like very, very hardworking. And if you're not busting your ass every second of every day, then what are you doing with yourself? And so um, part of my job in my life has been like, all right, I have to find something that's going to make me want to bust my ass. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I have mm-hmm. to find something that's going to make me want to work really hard. And once I stop feeling that and I stop learning, then I got to find that next thing. But yeah. I feel like Prowl is um, somewhat of a coalescing of all of those things. And so it's been fueling my fire um, and in a way that I could have never imagined. And with my business partner beside me, it's just been I can't imagine this ever ending is essentially how I feel about it because the people we've met, the conversations we've had, it's just the tip. It's just the beginning. And um, I feel like the way that we're going is the way that the majority of the industry is going to be headed where these mission driven businesses are, Mm -hmm. are they're, they're popping up all over the place. And I think it's easier to align with people if they're, they wear their values on their sleeve. And so some people have asked me, aren't you afraid of being so outward, like in conversation and on your website about like what you represent? Cause won't that keep a lot of doors shut? I'm like, no, absolutely not. Because those, the doors that are going to stay shut should stay shut. They can find exactly. Them. Those are not the doors you want to be working with. Right. They're right. not going to want this, this transformation that you give. Um, it's funny that you talk about that. But when I think about, you know, what we do, I think about how everyone professionally it's, we call it the passion purpose project, Hmm. right? How do you find what that passion is? And then how do you then transform that into purpose? And you're on that path right here. And it's just beautiful for for you to share this right here for everybody to hear that. It's so clear the the journey that you're on. Um, And it's very beautiful. I'm glad you feel that way. (laughs) I think the same about you, Angela. I think that what you've done in your coaching and your services too, it really feels like you've done a similar thing where you've recognized your passion and what you bring to the table and you're ca- you've capitalized on that. I think it's amazing. Uh, it's funny because I've had just as a circuitous path, you know, psychology, undergrad, design, thinking that was what I wanted, but I wasn't, then I discovered I wasn't good at design. I mean, I was good at leading it, managing in some respects, but executing it, no, and I wasn't loving it. Then I realized I love the people and I got into recruiting and I'm like recruiting. Employers get it, but they don't really need to know this. All of a sudden, shifting, making that final shift, making those changes, it's hard. It's hard to, you may realize what you want to do, but then making that absolute shift, it's hard to pull yourself to make that shift. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, we are just also at that point, you know, having 
moved space out of recruitment for coaching to be able to do this work. I'm feeling this is the ultimate of our, our calling and everyone that joins our group. It's amazing to be able to do this. Just we should all, I love it. Doing <laughs> the good work. <laughs> I love it. Lauren, thank you so much for sharing your story. You're, you know, yeah, just inspiring others. If anyone, I think here's just a, a message for all of you. I think there's so many people right now pivoting. Um, there's so many, What what is it like 20, 25% of people around the world are, it was the big quit has mm -hmm. become the, the big reshuffle, you know, new value, new value systems, removing themselves from toxic environments. Thank goodness. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, but the, and then finding that place where that passion becomes purpose. And you guys are hearing it today. There's so many different options here. You've got, if you're a female in design, you can join the women in design org. Um, if you're, you know, looking for private work with us, that's something that we do through our program, Thrive by Design and our private sessions. Um, but yeah, just go follow. I, I love, what was it? Bert Swerzy's um, quote that you told me before don't do bullshit. Yeah. He would kind of go between don't do bullshit and don't do nonsense, but I yeah. like bullshit more. <laughs> I like bullshit more too. <laughs> Life is too short, right? Mm -hmm. do, your, do what you can, do what you want to impact the world. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. All I right. Love it. Lauren, thank you so much for joining us. Um, for everyone who's listening in, yet another wonderful podcast, um, just inspiration from someone who's walking the path, right, along with all of us, people who are multi-potentialites, um, high, you know, creatives, change agents, and, you know, you're just hearing someone finding that next chapter in her career and it's just beautiful to hear that story happen um listen in for more we have so many other interviews from people in and around the design industry and if you want if there's someone in particular that you'd love us to interview that you think the world should know do let us know um that's it thanks have a great day